0: morning am i live there i am how are you today happy salvation day happy sabbath that you know uh this is the day that points us to jesus and his historical salvation so uh when, you know, when, when Jesus uh, walked in the garden, when, when he made the earth, we came along when? The end of the, the last day, the end of the sixth day of creation, right? What was our first full day on earth? It was the Sabbath. All we could do is rest in what God had made. We didn't contribute to it. it and, and he said, it's good, it's finished, it's complete. You couldn't add to it, you couldn't improve on it. When Jesus comes along again, he dies on the sixth day at the end, and the first full day in the tomb was the Sabbath. And he rested from his perfect work again, this time in saving you and I and the whole world. Uh, As we know, the Sabbath was made for mankind, and that includes everybody, right? So, welcome to uh, Salvation Day, the Sabbath. When we uh, kind of disregard the Sabbath, we're not, we're, not, uh, we're not breaking a rule, really. Are we? I mean, we are, but really we're breaking, we're breaking a relationship. We're, we're breaking somebody's heart, uh, and it costs God quite a bit to, uh, to say it is finished on that Friday afternoon. Our uh, topic today, as you see, is God's refining process. Let's have a word of prayer before we begin. I thank you, Father, for giving us this day that we could consider your works, consider your love, and uh, I ask for your blessing now on all of us that Christ would be seen and and welcomed in. And I pray, Father, that you would break through through this foolishness of preaching, and and and, and just take me out so that Jesus can be lifted up, and that the the message itself would uh, would. break us and mold us and free us. We pray this for Jesus' sake and in his name, amen. Uh, study today, Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, the uh, the uh, book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians who were in danger of turning back to Judaism. They were discouraged. It was tough living in those days. They were ridiculed. They were persecuted. uh, And uh, they were disowned. Uh, Back in that day, I, I understand it's still a practice in some capacity, but if you came home one day to your family, to your spouse or to your children or to your parents or, or whoever, and you, know, you announced that you were a Christian and you're in a, in a Jewish home, uh, oftentimes uh, they would have a funeral for you because you were dead to them. Can you imagine, especially a society that was so built on family and relied on family, can you imagine that happening? It'd be tough now, but back then it was, a, it was very, very difficult because there were no social safety nets uh, that that are that we've established uh, in this country, uh, so it was pretty tough. So so Paul is is writing to the Hebrews and he's he's he's, he's seeking to encourage them that uh, that they not give up Christ because Christ is a better everything. He's a better uh, promise. He's a better sacrifice, and uh, he's a better high priest etc. I'm going to go back to my notes here because I thought I'd be looking at them up there, but I, I got confused here. So that's Paul's goal here uh, in, chapter, in uh, the, the uh, letter to the Hebrews and to us down the road here. Excuse me for just a minute here. And if you, by the way, if you turn to uh, chapter 11, turn to chapter 11 of Hebrews, that'll keep us busy. Chapter 11 of Hebrews, just uh, prior to uh, our study, you get a context here that is valuable. Hebrews chapter 11. All right, just when I need to find it, I can't find it. Well, we'll deal with it. Okay. Hebrews chapter 11. You'll see that now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, I'm like everybody else. I kind of see how this relates to me. Because actually, it's all about me, right? So, uh, But really... There's something bigger here. This is about the faith of God. God has a faith that sees things, even though there's no evidence of them. He sees you and I as we are in Christ. He sees what Paul writes uh, in Ephesians, that he has set us at the right hand of Jesus, with, uh, with Jesus at the right hand of the Father, He sees us in this capacity. He sees us millions of years down the road living with him and the people we will be at that time. He sees us this way. And so faith is, the faith of God is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And then we see this, uh, uh, the rest of the chapter talks about people who are reflecting this faith, who've embraced it, and now are living out the faith of God, and, it see, and, and and it tells us what it does to their lives. And, and, and frankly, these people were messed up. Have you read it? These are messed- up people. These are dysfunctional people. These are selfish people like you and I, burdened with uh, a fallen nature like you and I, who have made lots of mistakes along the way. But you'll see them here, and it goes from Abel all to the, the Abraham and verse eight. Uh, Sarah, and it jumps down to, to uh, Isaac and Jacob. And also talks about Joseph. When you talk about somebody who had it, can you imagine being this young guy? You're always bullied. Your brother, older brothers are really, they're jerks, right? I mean, can we say that? Can we say that from the pulpit? Is that okay? I've got to look at the church rules again. But they were jerks. They were not nice people, his brothers and these are the this is the family the Messiah is coming from these, this is the family this is what God is going to use. you know they were jerks, and they treated him poorly and he ends up being hijacked from the family by, by the by the brothers, sold into Egypt. they were going to kill him and then somebody stood up and said, no let 's not do that let 's just sell him as a slave. What a nice fellow they, and so he ends up in, in Egypt, if, if, you, if there was anybody who would be angry at God and turn his back, I'm not following this, this God, whoever he is, it would be this guy. But Joseph holds on. Amazing story, uh, which the sermon's not about today, but just an idea. And then it goes on. Uh, you know, crazy things happen. Walls from fortified cities fall down, etc. The, the mouth of lions is... Daniel, again, Daniel was whisked away, uprooted from his home, turned into a eunuch. That would, those kinds of circumstances make people upset. But something was different with these folks here. All these, having obtained, verse 39, a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. The promise was still to come. God, having provided something better for us, so that is the context we have here in verse, uh, in uh, chapter 12. Now, I've got this thing here, and I'm going to go see how we do. God's refining process. Ah, okay. So when by the Spirit, Holy Spirit, people respond to the gospel message, what happens? They repent, which is what? Just They see things differently, right? Their mind changes. We change our minds all the time. We experience repentance all the time, but this is repentance towards spiritual things, towards God, etc. And by faith receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. That's wonderful, amen? Yes, it's beautiful. But there's still a problem. This radical change takes place in their minds and attitudes, but no change takes place Where? In their humanity, right? You still have the same fallen flesh, do you not? The converted mind, now under the direction of the Holy Spirit, and who's dwelling in you, wants to do who what? There it is. He wants to do the will of God. But the flesh, since it hasn't changed, what does it want to do? It's still as nasty as ever was. Now, you can see examples out in the world of what the flesh is like when it's run rampant. And you have that same, and I have that same flesh, even if we've accepted Jesus Christ. Our flesh does not change. So, Christian living becomes a battle between the spirit who wants to control the converted mind and the believer and the... uh, and the flesh controlled by Satan. And that's, so. this is Satan's place to hang, you see. This is where he gets you and me to fall. And this battle, I've noticed that the closer I get to Jesus, or maybe the closer I allow Jesus to get to me, the, more, the deeper my experience with the Holy Spirit, the more intense the battle becomes. Has anybody else experience that why would that be well simply because the spirit is, ex- is expressing himself he's, exerting, he's, he's establishing himself and so what's the flesh going to do oh well you know that's okay well that's cool that's cool I'll go into somebody else is that what the flesh does <laughs> is that what the devil does So the struggle will get even stronger in us as we experience a deeper relationship with Christ. As he is ex- exerting his power in our lives, the battle gets stronger. And I've noticed in myself and in others, as I, in my observations, is that sometimes people can't handle that and they walk away. They want to become a Christian and everything goes smooth. How about you? That's what we want, but that's not what happens. That's not the reality. So we have this, we have this battle. We have this nature. And how does God deal with it? We have a... a, 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 a Good example, Galatians clearly spells this out for us. Um, and by the way, when we get to the, when we're talking about the flesh, the, the flesh is unconverted and unconvertible. It's the carnal nature. It's the, it, it's, uh, you're not going to be able, it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. It will never cooperate with the Holy Spirit. It will ask you, Hey, look, you can be a church, go religious, you can do all this stuff, but let me still be in charge. I can put on a fair show. But God does not tolerate that. So he says here, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they are in what? Conflict. So if there's a conflict, don't run it's evidence of the holy spirit working in you so that you do not do what you want but if you are led by the spirit you are not under the law now being under the law means being under the jurisdiction of the law it's your behavior is your method of peace of salvation so if you are doing well you are secure And if you aren't, you're insecure. But that isn't the gospel. The gospel says our security is not based on our behavior. Amen? Our our security is based on the behavior of Christ. And can the devil find any sin in him? That's the question. Our security is found in a person 2,000 years ago, historically, who saved mankind. He's the Savior of all men, Paul says. God has reconciled the world unto himself, not counting their trespasses unto them, he says in 2 Corinthians 5. John says he's the propitiation of not only our sins, the atoning sacrifice, not only of our sins, but of the whole world. So our security is in what Christ has accomplished, Amen. If you are under law, your security is in your behavior. So we're looking for our assurance from, from, uh, under the law, we're looking for assurance from behavior. Our security in Christ is stable. It's there. But our struggle may not, our struggle is up and down. The big thing about being under law and focusing on behavior is what it was talking about in that Loma Linda uh, excerpt we, we watched if you were here. You know that uh, if, if your, your, your motivation is to be safe. To be, to be secure. To be in heaven. I'm doing what I'm doing to save my skin. And I'll give money. I'll show up here today. Uh, I'll be nice. I'll help people because I'm trying to find salvation. That's being under law. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason. But being under grace is a complete different motivation. You're not motivated by saving your own skin. You're motivated for the honor and vindication of your Savior. You're, what you're doing is, has nothing to do with your well-being but the well-being of others and the, uh, the honor of your, of your Savior who died for you and rose again. Amen. So that is the difference between being under law and under grace. So even those depending entirely on, Christ, on the Spirit in their Christian... Is that font big enough? Even those depending entirely upon, on the Spirit in the Christian living find that the Christian walk is always a battle. A constant struggle between the desires of the converted mind and the pull of the sinful nature which cannot be converted, neither indeed can be which wants its selfish way. And again, our, self, our, our sinful nature will we'll do good things as long as there's something in it for me. You see. So, this inner turmoil is graphically described in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 to 24. It's, a sto- it's not about somebody who's rebelling. It's not about an unconverted person. It's not somebody who, uh, well, you know, I, I, here's what often happens. We, when we, when we uh, have a struggle and we don't like the conflict, uh, we just say, well, I'm not really up to that, so really it's not that important. So we discard biblical living because it's really not that important. After all, who lives up to it anyway? But this is a genuine Christian who wants to serve God and is trying to do so by their own what? Strength. And um, I don't want to point fingers, <laughs> but we all do this. Every single one of us need constant salvation, uh, need constant grace. Because we are intrinsically Selfish. And the work of the gospel is to make us intrinsically other-centered instead of self-centered. But that intrinsicness is always, from, is always Christ in us, it's never us. And really, as it talked about, that, that's the only only way of mental health, right? If you're doing things for what you get out of it, eventually you are hurting your own emotional and psychological well-being. According to the video we watched here earlier, I thought it was very, very insightful. So we got a story here of a genuine Christian who's doing this out of their own strength. And as we read this, you notice the Holy Spirit is not mentioned. This is a Christian who wants to do the right thing in his own power. So here we go. Romans 7, verses 15 to 25. Now, verse 14 says, the, the law is spiritual but I am carnal, sold under sin. This is his condition here. So he cries out here uh, in verse 15, I do not understand what I do. Now, if you've, hopefully you've been here. <laughs> For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. And again, this is dealing with a lot of not just behavior, but it's dealing with something deeper, right? As it is, it is no longer I myself, the converted mind, who do it, but it is sin living in me. It's as if God sees a distinction between who you are, who you are with the indwelling spirit, who you are in Jesus, in Christ living in you, in this sinful nature that you are burdened with. He doesn't condemn you for it. You were born with it. It's not your fault that you have it. But he sees the distinction between it, and he separates it from us. He sees us apart from sin. And I guess we ought to see each other apart from that too, you know? Apart from the flesh. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, we, we don't see anybody else according to the flesh anymore. You know? Uh, so, uh, I'm trying to remember the text fully. Using Christ as a new creation. All things are done away. Behold, all things are new. So now we look at nobody as they are in their self. But we look at them as they are in Christ. And the work of the Holy Spirit. So, it's as if God sees us this way. And when we struggle... He's not condemning us, you see. He knows the struggle's there. But there's this enemy of, that's living within us that he wants to free us from. And it's hard work by him. Our job is to allow it. That's our hard work, is to believe and to allow the control freaks that we are, to surrender to the Holy Spirit. That's our challenge. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. Or one version says, I know that in me dwells no good. And uh, so he's saying the obvious, isn't he? And uh, our kids, as we raise them up, are going to have their struggles And if we tell them that, well, there's good in you, there's good in you, you just have to find it. We're going to really frustrate them because there is no good in them. The only good comes from who? The indwelling Holy Spirit. So there might be another option here to telling them to find the good within them. That's an Eastern thing. You know, that's a New Age kind of idea. It's not biblical Christianity. Christianity. And when you take it and put that on a macro scale, you know, economically and politically, you can create a real mess. And the world shows that to be true. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I, the converted mind, have the desire to do what is good. See, this is, this is not an unconverted or an unbeliever. I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. And uh, I think this, this is certainly a blow to our pride, but we can't. It's, uh, it's tough to accept. But we have to come to this place where we are completely de- we realize our complete desperation. Now, you might be able to do some things, but when it comes to spirituality, You are bankrupt, is what Paul is saying. I cannot carry it out, for I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Welcome to the human race, huh? I should have brought a happier message, maybe, huh? Can we change it now? Should we? Actually, this is going to be good news. I'm hoping you find that out. This is going to be good news this is this is so encouraging to me that 's all I can share when I come up to speak at a, anywhere uh, I can only share what's what 's happened in me what the, and this is good news there is some there 's a principle several principles going on here that uh, I hope you will see now if I do not. If I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it. But it is sin living in me that does it. That's the culprit. That's the bad guy, you see. And that's the way God sees it. God's not out to get you, but he is out to get the flesh. He is out to get what's killing you. Right? So I find this law, this principle, this force... At work, it's constant. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, the converted mind, which is controlled by the Holy Spirit, I delight in God's law, but I see another law, another principle. There's something else going on here that work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And here comes the good and well, here comes the here comes the expression of a cry for deliverance. He's not crying for salvation because his salvation is secure in, in the blood of Christ. Amen. That's where security is in the death of Christ. He's crying for deliverance not from the penalty of sin which was addressed 2000 years ago. He's dealing he's crying for deliverance from the power of sin that dwells in him and will dwell in all of us until we die or Jesus returns. What a wretched man I am. Now, if you can come to this place, there's hope for you. (laughs) Who will rescue me? Who will deliver me from this body that is taking me to death? When we become Christians, sin becomes a paradox. On one side, we have the Holy Spirit Dwelling in us pure holiness and righteousness. But we still have this fallen sinful nature who wants to express itself in, in selfishness. Who's in it for me. And everything that, every minute part of your life is being directed by one or the other, you see. And sometimes it becomes painfully obvious. And here's the good news. Thanks be to God. Here's the solution. Who delivers me? Who's the deliverer from the power of sin? It's God himself. No matter how much you clench your fists and grit your teeth and say, I'm going to do the right thing and I'm going to show everybody and you pull up your willpower and you can do it. You might do it today and tomorrow and you might... You might be able to program yourself this, that, and the other thing and somehow think that there is no sin in me. (laughs) But that's a lie, John says. It's just a matter of time, right? If you do that in your own strength. It's not an I plus Christ. It's Christ alone who is the deliverer. So then, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law. We hope. But in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. And this deliverance is spelled out in chapter, in chapter 8 of Romans. It tells you the power of the Holy Spirit is, is where the deliverance is. So the Holy Spirit's primary purpose in the life of the believer is to reproduce the righteous life of Christ in them, not in order to save them, because at the cross, they were saved. God wrapped his arms around the whole world. You see, so he doesn't. So he doesn't reveal himself in your life. The work of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, is not meritorious towards salvation. If it were, and you were failing, could you be secure? Do we all fail? Can any of us ever be secure then? See, that's how. That's where the devil wants you. He doesn't want you to see security the liberty you have in Christ, the salvation that's been obtained, full and complete, can't be improved on, can't be added to, which is what the Sabbath points to. He doesn't want you to see that so that your security, even at a subconscious level, is based on your performance. It's based on how the Holy Spirit's working in you. And if that's where you are, then you are very vulnerable because you are just like me And everybody else struggling. So, not in order to save them, but so that they can better witness for Christ. And so it becomes a Christ-centered thing. You see, this is done by subduing the flesh. The Holy Spirit subduing the flesh, what I should have wrote, Holy Spirit. Not in cooperating with it. Holy Spirit will never submit. The flesh will never submit. To being controlled by the Holy Spirit, the only answer is crucifixion. And do you like? How would how would you like to be crucified after Sunday? Yeah, well, we'll wait till the Sabbath is over. We don't want to have anybody hanging up there on the Sabbath like the Jews, right? So we'll wait till Sabbath is over, but we'll crucify you. How, How how would you feel about that? Would you be exciting? Would you be looking forward to it? It's not a pleasant thing, but that's the only answer to the flesh. So those of us who are unfamiliar with this process become very vulnerable to the devil and his lies. And, and, and he will use uh, the struggle which is God is using to refine us and to, and to, to, to say, this is a hopeless situation. You need to give, me, give, give yourself completely over to Christ. The devil will use this process if we don't understand it to pull us out, to discourage us, to say, "Hey, you know, uh, look at you—you're a mess. You screwed up. You know, you kick—you you, you know you, you kick the door, or you you you, you know—you yelled at somebody, or whatever, whatever. God doesn't love you. He's mad at you. You're probably not saved right now. Good. I hope you don't. I hope you don't get." hurt out there in an accident you better you better repent because you're not saved right now he's scared he'll use fear and he'll he'll discourage us because we're going to continue to struggle to try to try to pry us out of uh, Christ so there's refining of some rich uh, some rough edges here uh, and uh, we can welcome them or we can run away from them So two processes take place during sanctification, uh, which is uh, spiritual growth. First, we need to be willingly submit our sinful natures daily. To be crucified daily, to die daily, Paul says. To willingly surrender. We cannot crucify our sinful natures, but we can willingly surrender that the Holy Spirit would do so. You see... So we willingly surrender, submit our sinful natures daily to the cross, and we also allow the Holy Spirit to reproduce the life of Christ in us. And that is what—that's where the power is. It's the life of Christ. There's many parables we could talk about. One is, you know, uh, there's not not a lot of time, but Jesus talks about how we can. how the Holy Spirit cannot uh, bear fruit while the flesh is in charge. So Jesus says here in Luke 9, he, he, he brings this out in a couple of these texts. Uh, if anyone would come after me, he must what? And that's going to hurt. Self never is going to go down without a fight. Must deny himself the flesh, the sinful nature, and take up his cross and follow me. So you got the negative of surrendering the flesh and allow it to be crucified, and the positive of having the actual life of Christ. And I can't imagine anything more exciting than having the life of Christ, an eternal life of that of God Himself. If you ever have those moments where you just experience the fullness of God and his blessing and there's just something, he just speaks to you through, through a walk through nature or you're just, you just have this serendipity, you know, experience or and through, through a, a preaching of his word or, or songs or something and sometimes it just brings you to tears, there's no better experience than that. Paul writes... We always carry around in us, in our body, the death of Jesus. Genuine Christianity always carries around. This is death to sin. So that the life of Christ, the the eternal life of Christ, may be revealed in our lives, in our bodies. The manifestation of Christ in Christians, in you and in me, is seen in direct proportion to how much we have surrendered to the cross of Christ. If our, if we're not willing to surrender, then we do, there's not a whole lot of Jesus seen. And if you don't have the mind of Christ, you don't have the wisdom. You don't have the discernment. You don't have the gifts of the Spirit, you see. As we willingly surrender, we experience uh, a, a deeper... Man, Christ reveals himself more. So the more we die to self, the more the Holy Spirit can reproduce in them the character of Christ, in us, the character of Christ. So it allows the Holy Spirit maneuverability. The Holy Spirit, of course, is much more powerful than the sinful flesh, amen? It's not even close. But he needs, he's a gentleman. He's not going to just say, clear out, I'm in charge. I'm going to do whatever I want now. You said you wanted me. You can never change your mind. Get out of here. And just subdue the sinful flesh. He needs our consent. He respects us. He honors us. Everybody gets what they want. And if we're refusing to surrender, if we're holding back, and the flesh is is driving the bus of our lives, how are you ever going to be happy in heaven? Because the character will be set, you see? This is all about developing one's character. You know, getting to heaven is the easy part, really. It's the work of God. It's not your work. If it was your work, you would be God, right? But it's God's work. Your, our job is to believe in God's work. But what a, what a shame it would be to get to heaven and not be happy when you get there. That's the challenge. God wants to make us into the type of people we'll be happy when we see Him. We won't ask the rocks to fall down on us. You know? Amen? So everything God does is out of love, even his discipline. And he wants to produce, reproduce in us the character of Jesus. So Paul continues in uh, Corinthians here, uh, I don't know why some of this is dark and some of it is light, but there it is. You can see it, right? For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. An unpleasant thing. You see. But how, are, how is God going to deal? How does God rescue us from the power of this monster that's our sinful nature? It's, it's, a, it, it's a battle. It's tough. It's tough. But he loves us. He's not going to give us over to this sinful nature. He's going to, he's going to fight for us. So we're always given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that His life may be revealed in our mortal body. It's not for our sake; it's for His sake, for His life to be revealed. So we find a couple of more texts here. One in Galatians: Those who belong to Christ Jesus have what? crucified the sinful nature with all its passions and desires. And this is, a, this is a choice that is made daily. And we don't make promises to God that we're going to be good. <laughs> because what happens, sure enough, soon enough, what do we break? We break our promise. There's only one promise keeper, and that's Christ. So we don't make promises that we're going to be good and we're going to overcome this we're going to overcome that. Because if you ever read Steps to Christ, uh, what happens if when we make promises to God, we're, we're always going to break them because we're doing it in our own strength, like, like the guy in Romans 7. And then once we break these promises, we start to doubt our own sincerity. So the knowledge of our broken promises and forwarded pledges weakens the confidence in our own sincerity. I'm trying to quote and makes us feel that God does not accept us. What, a, what, what an awful place to, for the devil to take us. So why do we see people just disappearing? You know? This might, might be a clue, you know? She continues on in steps to Christ. What we need to understand is the, the power of the, the will, the choice... We choose to follow Christ. We don't promise. We choose to follow Christ. And that gives the Holy Spirit permission, you see, to work out in us his good pleasure. That's good news, amen? Uh, In Philippians 3, this should be 7 to 10. We forgot the 10, but here it is. I give up all my self-righteousness, which comes from the sinful nature, Is the sinful nature doing good in its own strength. That's what self-righteousness is. And it can look good on the outside. You can keep the Sabbath, pay tithes, say a prayer. Once in a while, you know, do this, do that. You can pretend you're a holy Joe. But Paul says, I give up all this. I deny all that I attain. That I may win Christ and be found in him. Not having my own Righteousness which is of the law. We talked about that. It's a self-focused religion. But the righteousness that comes by faith. What is faith? Paul reminds us giving up one's self-righteousness and having self-crucified is a hardship. It's difficult. It's a battle. It's painful, but should not discourage the follower of Jesus. God's Refining process is always done in love. This is always good news. Which brings us to our text. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So if we're suffering the consequences of some of our choices, or we, have, or we didn't have any choice in the matter, and something comes our way, it's not a punishment. God is not out to, to even the score with you. This is not karma. Aren't you glad? There's not a refining process where you've got to go through seven births and deaths, you know, and all this. this is, that was that is so discouraging compared to the, the good news of the gospel. Because the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. And, you know, the, the, the Bible writers wrote this at a time before the, the, the women's movement. And so that it includes everyone, you know. Back then, uh, a son received all, the, all kinds of benefits that, that the daughter did not. The daughter was going to inherit from the, the person that she married, you know. So it would talk about, it's, when it talked about women being as sons as well, it was talking about you're getting a full inheritance. So it's actually uh, good news for everybody. So God's refining process is not a punishment for sin. The punishment for sin happened 2,000 years ago. The full weight of the world's sin for all of mankind, before and after, were fully laid on Christ. you believe that? Please say amen. So this is not punishment for your sin. Jesus over and over said this. The disciples would come, even the disciples would come and say, is this for his sin or his parents' sin or somebody's sin? or Somebody's, somebody's got to pay for something here. And Jesus said, it's the wrong question, right? So God's refining process is not a punishment for sin or a rebuke for wrongdoing. It has as its only goal to reproduce the divine life of Christ. And this is the only way that God can convince the world that the gospel is not a theory or a hypothesis, but the power of God on the salvation. God has a problem, and you and I, being filled with the Holy Spirit, is the solution. Will you cooperate, you know? Back to Hebrews 12. Endure hardship as discipline, Paul writes. God is treating you as his children. Don't get discouraged. This is a process. It's unpleasant. It's ugly. Yes, we'll get through it together. Don't give up. God's treating you as his children. For what, child, what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, Paul writes, then you are an illegitimate child and not true sons and daughters, which would be an awful place to be, wouldn't it? You would be lost, in other words, is what Paul's saying. You're basically, if if he doesn't discipline you, there's no Savior. That's unthinkable. Moreover, we have... All had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. We may not have liked it, but we respected them. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? That shouldn't be there. So they disciplined us for a, for a little while, while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. So, the idea is, here's, here's what's, keep your eyes focused on Christ, and allow him to discipline the situation. And he works all things out for the good of those, what? Who love him. He will work it out for your good, but other people's good, so he can see the big picture. He is... Huge. <laughs> he speaks stars into existence that are as big as our solar system, and so he can somehow work all the loose edges and, and make you into pure gold. Isaiah says, "I will make a man more precious than fine gold." and that's what he's doing. And it takes fire sometimes to do that. Well, all times, right? Jesus, the author of salvation, endured this, this, this discipline being made perfect through suffering. He denied his flesh so the Spirit could live in him. Uh, I I didn't put this one on here so you could actually open up your own Bible. Uh, Chapter 5 of Hebrews. Can you turn that there with me? And we're almost done. Hebrews chapter 5. And uh, let's start at verse 7. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7. Amen you there? Who in the days of his flesh, the days when he was one of us. And really, there wasn't there's only one kind of humanity that existed at the time. It's the same humanity you and I have. All right? Right, amen? He fought the battle where the battle was. He wasn't exempt from anything. He was Like us, Hebrews 2 and 4 explicitly say this over and over again. But without sin. Who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications. Now, this is talking about his whole life but focus probably is on the Garden of Gethsemane where he cried three times Asking the Father to remove this cup from him. Not his will. Then he, then he responded. The, Jesus responded, not my will, but thy will be done. There was a difference, you see. And these are the strong crying and tears. With vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And was heard because of his godly fear. Now, what I like... Is this uh, NIV version? I was reading a New King James. The NIV translates it this way and he was heard because of his reverent submission. That's what faith is. You've heard a lot of definitions of faith faith is the same things, hope, you know, et cetera. But what faith is here is reverent submission. And if you put those two words together, how, are, how do you walk before God? You see? And this is what Jesus did, who is the true faith. He's the faithful one. So during his days on life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions and fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission, his faith. And God will hear you, too, if you're serious, you see. He hears you regardless, but he can't. He, when you're serious, it opens him up to be able to do all kinds of things. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he what? From what he suffered. He, it's through the discipline. He didn't sin, but he had an equipment that wanted to. And he consistently denied himself, you see. Now we live our whole lives fulfilling our will. He lived his whole life denying it. Not my will, but thine be done. So a son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, through this experience, he became the source of eternal salvation For all who obey him. We're not invited to obey a law. We're invited to obey a person. You see. And was designated by God as a high priest. So there is uh, the experience of our Savior himself. Uh, We cannot escape it. (laughs) We can't escape it. So God's whole purpose in the refining process is not to punish his people but to deliver them from the tyranny of the flesh, of self-righteousness, so that he can convince the world that the gospel is not merely a theory or an ideal, but the power of God and salvation. And we finish off here in Hebrews. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace, which is what every Christian would want. So Paul writes, rejoice in tribulation, Tribulation produces, produces, produces. Harvest of peace, righteousness of peace for those who have been trained by it. So we are encouraged not to run away from the training. So this process is vital if this earth is to be lightened with Christ's glory before the end of time. Which would be the goal of every devoted Christian, uh, devoted follower of Jesus, would be this, this culmination of where he puts an end to the suffering. And the, the person who's suffering the most is, is he. And uh, we want to, to hasten that day where Jesus is crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and he puts an end to the suffering of this world. When we live in a scientific age that will not accept anything that cannot be demonstrated... So we do not follow Jesus and have the fruits of the Spirit uh, shown in us to gain something. It's not an attainment. It's a demonstration. And the world needs to see it because they're not going to believe anything we say unless they see it. The world desperately needs to see a demonstration of the life of Christ and his people. God's refining process is very much part and parcel of his redeeming grace among pagan faiths, outward spiritual refining is seen as a qualifier for salvation. That's the, you know, the many other places you can go. But not so in genuine Christianity, this refining process is designed to help the already saved follower of Jesus to be a better witness, to, to be a better witness the life of, the, of Christ to others. Therefore, we finish, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees don't give up. Make level paths for your feet. In other words, whatever obstacles are in your way to this spiritual growth, they go. Are you willing to, what are you willing to surrender for Christ? What are you willing to give up? Well, I still want to follow Christ, but I want to hold on to this, this, and that other thing. Paul says, get rid of that stuff. Make level your paths of your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. So the question is up there. Are we willing to be part of this healing of the nations? Amen. Please bow your heads for the benediction. Father, we thank you for giving us the honor of of being here on your Holy Sabbath. To learn just like kindergartners here what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what's involved, the snares the enemy sets for us, but the good news of the work of your Holy Spirit, the fruit of the good news of Jesus dying, who is the Holy Spirit working in us, fighting the battle on our behalf, giving us the privilege of saying yes to him for now and forever. It is a fact, as as your son has stated, and as your apostle wrote, that all who choose to live godly in this world will suffer persecution and tribulation. That persecution comes primarily from the flesh, Father, either from ourselves or from others. But we thank you, Father, for giving us the joy of your son who has conquered the flesh fully. And knows how to win the battle in our lives individually now. He knows how to win the battles corporately in our church now. He has the strength and the wisdom and the understanding how to win the battle as he already has. May it be reproduced in us, Father, that the world may see that your gospel is not just some uh, cunning fable, but is your expressed Good news to the world of what who you are, and what your power uh, is over all sin and death and anger and shame and guilt. Thank you, Father, for making this known to us, that we have an opportunity to look deeper in it uh, as the days go by, and that we would in in our in choosing to allow the Holy Spirit to have his way, that Christ would be lifted up, that the world does not need to see us and how good we may or may not be. The world needs to see Jesus lifted up. It needs to see how good he is. May it be so we pray in Jesus' name, amen.